Welcome to the Blunderbuss. We're driving all over Australia, meeting some fantastic leaders who will share some painfully honest stories about their moments of failure and what they've learned. The Blunderbuss has now been downloaded over 6,500 times, making it the world's most popular podcast about leadership <laughs> failure recorded on a bus. You've probably worked out by now that the magic secret when it comes to failure is the ability to reflect on mistakes and learn. And that's what I do in my work as a pastoral supervisor, which I do through my organisation, Generation Leadership. If you're looking for a pastoral supervisor to help you reflect on your work and ministry practice, I currently have some openings. So go to my website, generationleadership.com.au to find out more. I'd love to work with you and provide a safe space to reflect on what you're currently doing and what you can learn. So check it out. Today, the blunderbuss has driven to Thornlea in Sydney's leafy, northernish bit. <laughs> and I'm speaking to Megan Powell de Troyes, pastor, academic, editor, writer, preacher, teacher, speaker, poet, publishing manager at the Australian College of Theology, pretty much doing everything that has to do with words in the evangelical space, and also one of the co-hosts of With All Due Respect, which is a great podcast, Megan, but it's not actually recorded on a bus. Ah, uh, no, no, so that's, yeah, look, we can't compete. <laughs> <laughs> We're just working in different fields, really, aren't yeah. we? You're, just, you're in the non-bus field. And, yeah, you know. yeah, look, yeah, it's stationary. I mean, yeah, we'll get on to that. Maybe yeah, we need a cruise ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the great stationary podcasts of the Australian. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I like that. That's a good, good thing. Hey, Megan, you you are vastly experienced, you know, vastly qualified. Have you ever made a leadership mistake? Yeah. So the problem when you asked me onto this was which one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And some of them are the, you know, classic, like I've um I have failed to really promote women as I should, for instance. Right. Yeah. Right. Which I think you've had something to speak about as well. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. So Megan, what would you um what would you like to talk about today? Well, I want to talk about something um, which I think is a bit more serious. It's 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 not as um, pre-digested. It's kind of more um, an attitude. It's about the naivety we have about um, our ministry and our community that we're doing the ministry in um, and what do you do and how do you respond when, of course, you discover that there are things like abuse happening there. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, why don't you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so I think probably like a lot of people, um, I had a particular type of arrogance, which I don't think is a bad, um, a badly intentioned one, but I, you know, felt like God was doing new things. I was really excited when I went and did my theology. Um, it felt like, you know, the vista of wonderful ministry where God was going to do fantastic things through me and my cohort what was happening and and I'm, I'm a really belonging kind of person I love community so obviously I fought my community Baptists and evangelicals and um you know I could see some problems but I I felt like this was um people that God was really working through which I still think but because of that you can kind of have a misguided loyalty and you can kind of think if I just keep doing the things the way they're always done and if I just um stay quiet and I just work then um you know nothing's going to go wrong, um, people are doing the right thing for the most part. And, of course, um, what you gradually learn, and I think we've all been learning in the church, is that uh, there are people doing really bad things and then you're confronted with, well, how, what am I going to do with that um, and what am I going to do with that in several different ways, yeah. Okay. So is, that, is this an uh, issue that is your personal experience or is it your kind of, uh, you know, what you've observed from other people? 
Both. And I mean, one of the difficulties that we'll have talking today is that, you know, a lot of this you can't necessarily, yeah. just for safety reason for myself and other people, like, and it's not out there in public record necessarily. So, you know, whether I can tell particular stories. But yeah, look, it's been a lot of stories that I've heard. And um, as a woman in who's got a public profile, um, I hear a lot of stories. Like I would hear multiple stories every week and that's when not something's not particularly in the news if something's in the news it's every day um but also because i'm a woman in ministry and in the church and just in the world yeah i have my own stories as well of, of mm. stuff that's happened to me yeah okay so um you, you talked about abuse mm. uh, as as all of this is that is that what we're talking about here the the leadership failure of abuse um so I think my own failure would be, you know, maybe not having taken it seriously or not done as much as I could have or so on. But, yeah, I mean, what I'm talking about is things like bullying, um, sexual assault, sexual harassment, um, abuse of power. Yeah, I would say that I know a lot of stories about that, whether they're my own or other people's within the Australian context, and I've had to work out what, what to do about that, yeah. And that's the incredibly problematic bit, isn't it? As you said, you, you know, you go into ministry because you love Jesus and you love the yeah. church and you want to think well of, you know, those, your colleagues yes. and, you know, the people you work for and, the, you know, all that all that kind of thing. And, and then you find yourself, you know, what, making excuses, um, you know, uh, rationalising, minimising, all that all that kind of thing. That's That's the challenge, isn't it? Yeah, I think, yes, you either go, oh, it's just a one-off or you think, well, it couldn't have been that person or, um, oh, the, the processes that we've got to do with that, they'll be they'll find they'll work. I mean, I think probably this one is something I can say that, of course, my father um, was vice principal at Morling, has been very active in the denomination, and so he's one of the leaders that I can look back and say, did they do with this the way that they should have? And, you know, he is one of the most people with the most integrity and care and justice. Like, I look up to my father so much, but, you know, do I think necessarily that he dealt with it all well? Maybe not. And and um, so that's really confronting as well when you're very much part of a community to be able to see with, you know, take the rose-coloured glasses off and to see what's actually happening. Yeah, yeah. And it is complicated too, isn't it, because we're dealing with, issues that are systemic and dealing mm. with issues that are cultural mm -hmm. uh, and, and embedded in a particular period of time, the way that people dealt with this in the past. That's right, yes, and people were doing what they thought was best and the knowledge that they had. I mean, and then there would be probably systemic problems with why they thought that way or so on, and and you, are, you can't divorce yourself completely from that. So... Yeah, so you realise too, I think I probably don't know the times when I should have spoken up or when I didn't believe someone enough or when I've been part of the problem. I mean, some of it is just that uh, you weren't as aware as you should have been and so people didn't come and tell you the stories perhaps because they didn't see you as a safe person. Mm. I mean, is this a particular issue for women? Um, I think for me, I think there's been a, a real sense of, of purpose or calling in this, which is I've struggled with, in the sense that there isn't that many female ministers in the evangelical space. There's not many um, who have a, a public profile. There's even fewer who are willing to speak up about this. 
And so um, I found myself, and I think people see me as someone that's quite um, forthright and bold and so on, but I actually don't know whether that's um, natural to me, but I think it's just that it's like who else who else is going to speak up for these women, mm. um, particularly if they've been hurt by men and they don't want to talk to a man about it and I'm hearing the stories, um, what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with that knowledge and that responsibility that's now landed in my lap? Yeah. So this is a really obvious kind of question, almost so obvious that you don't want to ask it, but why is this happening? Why You're talking about like many, 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 many examples of mm. uh, you talked about abuse and you're talking about bullying. And let me just say this is entirely my experience too mm. in terms mm. of pastoral supervision, working with people who mm. uh, are burnt out, and I mean that in a very, you know, I don't just mean like they need to go on two weeks' holiday. I mean people who have been just absolutely destroyed by the church mm. that they work with who can't work anymore. You, need, mm. you know, why is this going on? I think um, there's lots of reasons. I think one is that we really do need to acknowledge the um, extent of sin. Um, I often say sometimes I'm a a one-point Calvinist. I believe believe in total (laughs) depravity. Um, So, you know, it's pervasive and I think we need to retain that theology and to go that means, you know, it is in the church, it is people that we know. And I guess one of the things that's happening with the church is that there is power systems there, and, yes. and um, once once you have sinful people and you have power systems, this is what you're going to have. And as much as we want to say, but we've done all the right things, we've promoted people of good character to those positions, you know, we've got good processes. That's that's the reality. This side of um, the coming kingdom is that every generation is going to be confronted with. Um, this reality and the question is whether we we deal with it and I think our generation at the moment is actually coming to terms with okay we can't just let it go on um yes. I mean I think perhaps similarly you know Wilberforce was confronted with that with slavery how right. can I let let this go on um and so I think that for me is is once you know the stories once you realize how bad something is how can you how can you in all conscience allow it to keep ha- I mean, obviously you, you will always have some degree of it, but how, what are the systems and, and what are the what is the theology and, and what is the practices, all of those things which are actually helping sustain um, long-term abuse or uh, people not um, being held to account? That's a really interesting way of thinking about it as, a, as, as this being a time of historical reckoning. Mm. Uh, and I've never thought about linking it with, say, you know, confronting slavery or mm. whatever. That's that's very interesting. It seems to me too, Megan, there is a, a particular kind of Christian or evangelical naivety about power mm. and who mm. has oh, it yep. and how they exercise yes. it. Have you noticed this? Absolutely. I and there's almost like, and I think part of the politicisation of um, evangelicalism at the moment, which is is really devastating is that power and talking about power is being seen as something that the left does, right? <laughs> but, but in reality, the Bible, I think, is extremely honest and real about power and the problems with it. I, I think, I mean, I once did a thing, uh, I had to write an article about this, and so I looked, I read through Genesis thinking that I'm going to look at this sin from the aspect of sex and power. Okay. 
And the as I read through it, I went, oh, my goodness, the story of Genesis um, absolutely is speaking shockingly to how uh, sex and power become intertwined. And, um, yeah, I just not read it that way. But when I read it, I went, it's unavoidable to see that the Bible is very clear that power becomes very problematic um, when combining with sexuality, for instance. And it's, I, I think it's interesting because when you speak to clergy, male clergy in mm. particular, around power, I think uh, often they're kind of surprised that um, that you want to talk about that. Mm. And secondly, I think often the, the experience of being in ministry is the experience of total powerlessness. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you can't. Yeah do all the things that you want to do and you can't change the things that you want to change mm-hmm. and you can't make people become Christians and you can't, you know, take the pews out of your church. You can't seem to mm-hmm. be able to do anything. And it, it it really feels like being in ministry is a recipe for powerlessness. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I want to come along and talk to people about power. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of clergy find that really confusing. I mean, and I'm, I'm Baptist clergy, so, you know, you feel like you've got, you know, 500. However many members you've got, that's how many employers you feel like you have. Yeah, right, yeah. I, <laughs> I think probably... that's across the polity. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, I understand that feeling and I think we, we I actually think we need to have more conversations and, and more biblically founded conversations about the different ways that power operates and how we can have a kind of spiritual, um, spiritual power is so... Um, which it should be. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but it should be. Spiritual power should be extremely powerful. It should be something yes. that gets to the core of who we are. I mean, we're about that. We're about transformation. So we do think <laughs> that speaking to people's spirit um, is is transforming. But, of course, that power, therefore, is something you've got to be so careful with. And, I, yeah, I see it a lot, just the way that um, we set up uh, the kind of control we un sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, just exert on people and just unintended consequences of when, say, for instance, we're trying to safeguard the gospel or whatever, but we, in order to do that, um, we we put in place things that are going to give quite a lot of power to certain people and the instant we do that, the instant we do that, we create an environment for abuse. Yeah. And yet, you know, you read the New Testament and there is, there, there seem to be you know, examples where uh, people in authority exercise some discipline, we might say, uh, and challenge yeah. and confront and rebuke. This is, these are words that we that we would use. I wonder whether it becomes a fine line. To what extent, or <laughs> how? You know, I, I think I'm exercise. I, I think I'm rebuking, but maybe mm-hmm. other people are experiencing me as abusing. I don't know. Ah, uh, yeah. Look, I think. Two, it's it's about that, and maybe this is you know you're talking about the self reflection that you have to do in leadership, and I think it has to come from a place of reflecting on yourself, who you are, and reflecting on your community and who they are, and and a, a radical commitment to own up and repent both yourself and in your community. So unless you're practicing a discipline on yourself and a discipline on your entire community and particularly the leaders yeah. in your community, then, you know, how can you even dare to discipline <laughs> other people who have less power in that community? And I think that's maybe the problem in that we often have high control happening over people with less power yes. and and the people with more power, they set it up so 
they're, they're increasingly less accountable. And I think it is. It's just repentance. And, um, you know, I was just talking to someone today about this, um, about why I'm still evangelical. And I said one of the reasons besides still believing in all of that theology is because I don't want to walk away from the mistakes of my own community. Right. And, and And I want to take... Um, responsibility for those as part of that community and I want to be hopefully trying to bring about change and repentance, um, true repentance where you change what you're doing as part of that community. And that's what I I feel like we haven't had that kind of discipline um, in terms of people with power. While the Bible says, you know, um, that for those who teach, you know, they'll be held to a a greater standard. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's really interesting. What you talked about there was safe power being embedded within community in mm. every respect. And so it's not just, um, yes, you know, power going down. Yeah. But there is this community sense in which we are, this community altogether, our power is kind of embedded in that whole community. Yeah. And that and that needs an understanding, I think, of, of how power is operating because, often we can not understand how difficult it can be for accountability to go upwards. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the, uh, one of the, the missteps is, is when people just say, okay, well, we'll we just won't have power. We'll just we'll, we'll seek mm-hmm. to create an environment in which there is no power because that doesn't exist. There is yeah, no... Yeah. <laughs> There's always power operating. Right, there is... <laughs> And so it's like, you know, I think with where we started about naivety about this, there is yeah. always power. And so we, there is no, and you look at the Lord Jesus, right? He was pretty powerful mm. and he was pretty comfortable being powerful, it seemed to me. Mm. Um, and while he emptied himself of, of many things, he still walked around doing extraordinary things. And he you know, seemed to have a strong sense of who he was in terms mm. of being a, you know, the child of the father, um, you know, yeah. I guess that's part of my learnings as well was to kind of realise my own power and then taking responsibility for it. And um, I think that's why it's become one of the issues that I speak out, even though obviously because because some of the stories that I know are my stories, even when I don't say the whole story, I don't, I don't share it. Just the fact that I'm speaking up about it makes me really scared. Like I think what if that person feels like I'm coming after them or so on. Um, but I feel like because of the role and the particular powers that that come with that there's responsibility for me and and that even extends to an emotional responsibility of there's a great deal of sorrow there's a lot of sorrow that I carry but I think that's part of being a leader so coming back to naivety I think you start in in a lot of joy but I think one of the things that you need to accept as a leader is that you're going to need to carry sorrow um your own and other people's, and um, and that's one of the things that you have to be prepared to do as a leader. And I, th- I think sometimes we enable bad things to happen because we refuse to deeply confront the sorrow of the situations that we are in and and um, how people have contributed. But you need to be able to carry that and to and have hope um, that can cope with that amount of sorrow. So, Megan, if you carry this sorrow. How do you keep faith in the church? Uh, I, I mean, for me, Jesus, I just keep falling more in love with Jesus. Um, gosh, I watched The Chosen. I don't know if you've watched that. And I said, oh, Jesus, this is this is who it's all about. 
But, um, you know, he's a man of sorrows and I think, um, you know, even just the verse, Jesus wept, I think we need to um, take up again um, the whole sense of what it is to have a Lord who was crucified and uh, and part of that too is being able to understand that sorrow is what we deal with now um, but we, 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 we hold it because we look forward to the joy that is to come. Uh, so there, there's a hope in the future and there's a comfort now in, in following the man of sorrows. And, Megan, final question, what have you, you yes. learned about leadership failure? <laughs> um, I mean, I've learned that you will fail just because you'll grow for experience. I mean, that's, that's the thing, that you can't know what you can't know. Um, so, so one thing is just being willing to reflect and to go, of course I was naive. That's we're all naive, you know. Um, that's part of it. But also I think to to take not only an individual responsibility for failure, but a communal responsibility to kind of say, I I'm now willing to um, accept the responsibilities of not just my own part, but the fact that I've been in a system and I've been in a community that has failed. And as a leader, I need to take that responsibility. That's part of what it is to be a leader. Thanks to Megan Pal-Dutois for sharing about her leadership journey and what she has learned. And thanks to you for being part of the Blunderbuss journey. Big shout out to our listeners in Ballancolic in County Cork and our listeners in Germany. <laughs> I'd love it if you would subscribe and rate the Blunderbuss. It actually helps more people know about this podcast. And so go to our website at www.generationleadership.com.au to find out more about pastoral supervision. And I'll see you next time on the Blunderbuss. <laughs>